0: I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but Always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. What a powerful episode we have today. My guest is Jaron Soloff, and Jaron is a registered dietitian. An international board certified lactation consultant. This episode is powerful for anyone who is struggling through the concept of getting pregnant after recovering from an eating disorder. This podcast episode is powerful for anyone who is not feeding themselves adequately during pregnancy or after, and this is also a powerful episode, bringing light into how difficult postpartum depression can be on mothers and all family members. It is a really beautiful show. Jaren is very eloquent in the way she says everything, and I hope you all enjoy this episode listening to it, shall I say, as much as I had recording it. Okay, here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I am incredibly, incredibly honored to be sitting here today with Jaren Soloff. Jaren, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm really honored.
0: I am so excited to have this conversation on so many levels. I'm just going to tell listeners what you do, and then I'm going to let you you know, run with it because it is beautiful. So Jaren is a registered dietitian and also... And I'm gonna let her say the full title because it's a it's a mouthful, but a lactation consultant. And I I just I can't wait to have this conversation with you. So Jaren, could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, I will tell you all the things personally, professionally. Um, just kind of starting off in terms of the work that I do. You know, I'm a, a dietitian and I have specialized in working with individuals with eating disorders um, for most of my career. And I also have now pivoted into bringing my expertise in eating disorders into the birth and, um, you know, postpartum community. So I did some specialized training as a board certified lactation consultant, which is a fancy way of saying that I help babies to breast or chest feed, um, and help them, you know, get that nourishment soon after birth. My practice is full circle, which is, you know, interlaced with a lot of personal meaning for me about my recovery journey, really coming full circle and supporting individuals in, in their recovery journey. And also about, you know, really supporting individuals and infants from the beginning when they are this intuitive eater and really trying to have this intergenerational impact of preserving that intuitiveness Um, And protecting that throughout, you know, their lifespan as they grow up and also helping mothers and parents um, at that time, really use their babies as models for intuitive eating and being in attunement with your body. So I just think there's so much beauty in that and it brings me so much satisfaction to kind of work along that spectrum.
0: First of all, I I keep taking these really slow deep breaths while you're while you're explaining what you do, because I just want to drink it in, Jaren, because it's so, or breathe it in. It is so powerful when we think about, first of all, the nourishment of infants. You in your way are trying to start, as you said, almost like a healthy relationship from infancy with baby and nourishment. And that just, I I can't even tell you, I'm just getting this like rush of emotions of like, wow, this is something I never thought about taking it from birth and honoring that. It is unbelievable. And and I don't mean to get too, you know, sometimes I get really exaggerated (laughs) with excitement of like, oh my God, but I can't I I don't know, I'm really, really blown away by this. And then I also appreciate when you're saying teaching mother to remember that mother or parent to remember that at one point they were intuitive eaters as well. I don't know if I just ran too far with that excitement, but that's exactly how I felt.
1: (laughs) Oh, I am um, so grateful for your enthusiasm. It just kind of reignites and, you know, Um, encourages me to keep on this path. And it's, you know, with every single client and we call the mother baby a dyad because they they go together and it's a feeding relationship. Um, And it just, it is really beautiful and it's really powerful to think of that impact. So um, I'm so grateful to have, you know, found a way to kind of intersect my experience with eating disorders into supporting parents in that way, because it is extremely powerful to think of, you know, we know that parents and their relationships with food and bodies have such an impact on how they're going to feed their children. Um, And that starts, you know, so early with, you know, I mentioned the word attunement, right? And um, feeding is all about being in sync with our babies and being in sync with our bodies and our babies' rhythms. And so it's just this really beautiful ebb and flow. And my job is to really support and protect that.
0: I know this might be sounding like I'm jumping way off into, you know, uh, into a big topic, but I'm I'm also imagining, and and I'll speak from my own experience. A lot of my eating disorder was anxiety based. I definitely struggle with anxiety. How do you help the mother or the parent whose baby is not latching on? given the fact that so many people that have struggled with eating disorders, either A, like I said, struggle with anxiety. So then that creates a a big, an anxiety loop for them. Also struggle with their own bodies. So then if they're feeling like their own child is rejecting their body, is that too broad of a question or?
1: No, not at all. And there's really, really, oh, make sure I touch on both those points. But the thought that was coming to mind for me was there's some um, literature on examining if individuals who are in recovery, when they um, have their babies, if they had lower or higher incidences of breastfeeding. And they actually found that, you know, individuals in recovery breastfeed just as frequently as individuals who, you know, have not been in recovery. Um, Which is just interesting to see if there would have been differences in any way. So, um, you know, recovered individuals are just as committed and really want to have that, you know, feeding relationship and that experience of breastfeeding. What I see in terms of the anxiety and the, you know, lack of, of body trust, which we really try to build and work on in recovery is, like I shared, using your baby as a mirror. So, you know, if baby is having trouble latching or if there's just stress in that feeding relationship, it really is about kind of reconnecting and being in attunement. I think, you know, any of us as mothers during that initial feeding experience, it is really stressful. And on top of that, maybe if we have our own anxiety, um, our own expectations of how we want that feeding experience to go, um, it can be really difficult to stay out of that black and white thinking because unfortunately, birth and postpartum, similar to you know the black and white thinking of the eating disorder world, is very rigid. It feels very like you need to breastfeed your baby and you need to make all their baby food. and it can be just ridden with so many, you know, really, polarized kind of ends. So I work with parents on making sure that we're checking in on those expectations, um, that we're preserving mom's mental health and well-being. So that doesn't always mean breastfeeding at all costs. It might mean having some flexibility to think about a different feeding combination or different regimen but as long as i'm providing them with you know the information they need so that they can make an informed decision that can i think provide a lot of empowerment and you know hopefully kind of decrease that anxiety that might be part of all these expectations building up around it
0: do you mind if we actually shift gears a little bit? Because as you're talking, you're saying you're talking about the, the clients that you work with and all this stuff and how you help them navigate through it. Jaren, can you share a little bit about what your experience was like having gone through an eating disorder and you, like many, went through to it morphed, it went from anorexia and then switched to bulimia. And what was it like? I have a lot of clients that are either terrified to have children because they're afraid of the body changes, they're afraid of having no control over their body, also just the emotional fear, which I'm sure is very common, of inability to do it, to be a mother, what or whatnot. Can you tell me what it was like? For you going through this?
1: Yeah, it's such a, it just brings up a lot of powerful emotions and now, you know, appreciation for that time of my life because my daughter is nine now. But, um, you know, my experience um, through birth and through pregnancy was. You know i didn 't um, choose to be a mother at that time. It was an unplanned pregnancy. I was very young, and while I had some steady ground in my recovery, I think really reflecting on where I'm at now as a clinician and just you know being years into my recovery really, I think like many of us look back and I'm like, whoa, I had so much work to do at that time still. Um, There were so many pieces that I still really wanted to heal and work on. So it was vulnerable for many reasons. Um, I don't feel that I had fully navigated and settled into understanding how it was going to change my body um, and how I was going to feel tolerating this inevitable weight gain that had to happen and, um, and sitting in a, a postpartum body. So, you know, pregnancy felt for me, which I think I see a lot of this with my clients too, is that it felt like an acceptable time to gain weight. This is the only time in my life that it is quote, quote, acceptable for me to gain weight because I am growing another human. And, you know, I think coming from my relationship with food and not having full permission to eat yet it really provided me this badge of well now I have permission I'm pregnant and I can gain weight and it's okay and it makes so much sense to think about that now and to now you know think about the experiences that others kind of walking through this have um, even if maybe they haven't been totally on the full eating disorder spectrum I mean, this time can really serve as I have permission to eat for the first time that maybe I haven't had. So that was a really unique experience. And I think part of the swing of what happened for me postpartum is, you know, really going back to some of those safety behaviors that helped me feel grounded. Um, Not only because of the permission that I had in pregnancy that I hadn't Experience before, but also because, you know, I was pretty much a single mom starting out. I was 20 years old. I was doing it completely on my own, um, you know, still doing a lot of healing. And I needed those tools at that time to really survive, which I appreciate for myself now. And, you know, it, it really robbed me of, being fully present, I feel, with my daughter at that time. And I did 100% absolutely the best that I could. I truly, genuinely believe that. I think that we all are, especially as parents. And it's part of why I have this passion for helping parents, because You know, if we can offer a little bit of of healing during that time, or if I was able to access more of my full recovery, then I imagine the way that I might've navigated postpartum would have been a different experience.
0: Is there a way that you have been able to explain to clients that, and and let me think about this for a moment, because I want to make sure I, I articulate it the way it's forming in my mind. So sometimes that takes me a second. That it it is an unfortunate society that we live in, that first of all, we have to have permission to eat. That our culture has, and and by the way, I'm saying this as somebody who had an eating disorder. So I'm not being like, what are you talking about? The fact that we come from a culture that, and and you know, you put in quotations that you were like given permission to gain weight. The fact that we take something like childbirth and then darken it with a misconception of what weight means, how do you help your clients navigate through it? Because it's not even about quote unquote gaining weight, it's about your body providing a beautiful home for your your newborn child, regardless of how the body responds.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And this ebbs and flows, this diet culture and this emphasis on weight flows into postpartum around get your body back or lose the baby weight. I mean, those messages are just intertwined with all of it. And how I work with clients on it is really just separating it out and trying to help kind of tease it out and understand that You know, we are really being robbed if we're buying into those messages because pregnancy is such an amazing, beautiful time. I've always been just one of those people that's just been fascinated by this amazing ability our our body has. And so, how is it that overnight, you know, we go from being acceptable in terms of waking with pregnancy to now it's unacceptable because you have the baby and your body is. Um, you know, not in that acceptable place anymore. So I really try to work with my clients on separating out that, you know, inundation of diet culture and weight stigma to protect those times that are so special.
0: Yeah. How or, or maybe what kind of feedback do you give clients as a dietitian when a client is pregnant? And they are struggling with feeding themselves adequately due to the eating disorder when they are still binging and purging due to the eating disorder or binging. How do you help a client through that? Because that's gotta be really, really complicated, Jaren. Emotions are already really high because you're pregnant. And some people, part of their eating disorder is they just don't like to tolerate any emotions, even good ones, so they turn to their eating disorder. I know that's a big question, but it's a million dollar question. How do you help?
1: It's a million dollar question, and it's a it's a process you know this is part of the the healing that we do and um you know i of course, if someone is really struggling with nourishing themselves adequately during that time, I think we have a lot of conversations even during pregnancy around like you know doing it for the baby I' doing this for the baby, which of course, can be a huge motivator specifically for individuals that are in recovery during pregnancy and navigating that. You know, They're really highly motivated to um, protect that and make sure that you know baby is growing and getting nourished appropriately. So we can use that, of course. But I also want to hold space for the individual, for the mom. This is not just for your baby. This is also for you. I mean, this is your experience of becoming a mother, becoming a parent. And, you know, this eating disorder and these behaviors and this avoidance or whatever it might be um, is really taking you away from this huge identity transformation. And, you know, we think about the conversations we're having around increasing rates um, of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and, I can't help but separate these two of like how weight stigma and and all of these pieces have really impacted the mental health of someone during pregnancy and how that really comes full force during postpartum. So I hope that answers the question. I'm really working to balance both. Yes, we can use the motivation of, you know, nourishing this baby that you're growing and also, you know, thinking about protecting your role as the individual and, helping you through this transformative process.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really a powerful, powerful time in people's lives. Do you ever get triggered working with this population, whether it's as a dietitian working with eating disorders or triggered from what your own experience was like throughout your pregnancy working with pregnant women? Does that ever come up
1: for you? it's always something as recovered providers we're always navigating and and being aware of um you know in terms of like eating behaviors that really doesn't so much come up for me anymore i've had to navigate a lot of healing parts of my story around you know being a young mom and not um feeling like I had a lot of choice in being a mom at that time and, um, just navigating being a young adults and those experiences. So there are certainly feelings I think that come up for me around, you know, watching others navigate, um, entering into parenthood in a certain way that I, I wish that I had, or, um, just the times of their lives that they might be in of, Oh, I wish that I, you know, would have been like settled in my career and had more flexibility versus I went back to school full time. Um, and I felt the need to really like push myself and I would have done things differently now. Um, but that just wasn't part of my experience at that time. So those feelings come up um, in these experiences. So it's, it's part of my continuous healing process with my own therapist. Yeah. There's something I wanted to point out
0: from your website because when you talk about your philosophy and you and I talked about this before we started the recording your philosophy of how how you work with women that are struggling through trusting their body during pregnancy is just like struggling with your bot trusting your body through an eating disorder you write and I love how you call them mama We see you, mama, struggling with trusting your body after birth. We know you feel like you, quote, should just understand how to do this. Side note for me, that was not knowing how to understand, not understanding how to be in the world. So, and I, everyone just assumed I should just understand how to be in the world. Go back into your quote. We know how uncomfortable it can feel to not know how to ask for help when feeding your baby feels like something you should quote just know how to do. While breastfeeding, chest feeding is natural and, and intuitive, it does not mean that it is easy. I swear and as I sort of you know broke up that that quote by adding my own my own part It is like how my experience was being in the world. Like I should know this. It should be easy. It appears that everybody else understands how to be in the world. And I don't. And I was so afraid and embarrassed to ask questions and ask for help. And when I read that, I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's powerful. I don't know if you have any thoughts or if, if that resonates with your own experience.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's, it's one of those pieces where it's like, it, this was born out of my experience. I mean, I am my ideal client, so to speak. Right. And, um, just because I, I, realized how significant this experience was. And it wasn't until, you know, after my daughter was a few years old, and I, I just felt so isolated. Um, Like, I can't be the only person that, you know, is navigating um, pregnancy and postpartum that has recovered from an eating disorder. Like, where are my people? (laughs) You know, all and now, you know, doing the work that I do, it's like, even if we see clients at, you know, earlier stages in their life where, you know, parenthood is not even a part of their goal, like what happens to them during this time? Because it is a landmine of triggers, um, with focus on weight and the motherhood experience, the experience of becoming a parent is so ridden with shoulds and black and white thinking and expectations and, you know, that experience of I should just know how to do this. And part of it for me is, you know, my recovery has been, um, you know, recovering from perfectionism also. And so think of how much that flows into the experience of becoming a parent, um, where, you know, now as being a more seasoned parents, so to speak, with my daughter being nine and having more of the experience. I'm like, oh, okay. None of us have this figured out. This is part of the journey of being a parent and and being a human too. And that's, that's it being
0: human, because even at 51, I don't have it all figured out. And I thought I would. And so it's like, it's just getting rid of that myth that like, there is a day that you feel like you're going to arrive and understand it all. and. By the way, it's it's uncomfortable to not understand things, but it's also kind of cool, like riding through that. But again, with personality traits that go into eating disorders, that discomfort can be intolerable. How do you help clients as a dietitian who are saying they're fearful and, you know, I have I'm thinking of a client right now who has a really, really strong marriage, yet their big sticking point is she's terrified to get pregnant because she worked so long to move through her eating disorder, get to a place where she's comfortable in her body. And now she's like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I don't know if I can, I can handle all of that unknown and change. How do you, what do you say to a client when they when they say those things?
1: Yeah, I was just even holding a lot of compassion for that client in my mind because it's such a, a common experience and really valid thought to think about, you know, navigating so many unknowns and to have done so much healing with your body and your experience with food. And to know, I imagine that much of that fear comes from feeling like knowing that pregnancy and postpartum are going to carry a lot of triggers, right? Or thinking about all the messages we receive around nutrition and knowing how maybe our brains might totally kind of latch on to some of those messages and reignite those thoughts for us. So I think what's really just coming up for me is just holding a lot of space and compassion for that client right now and, you know, letting them really navigate and explore those feelings and and sit with them until they feel ready. Um, I think of so many layers of exploring, you know, our own experiences with our parents, of course, and our own therapy before we take that journey and, um, you know, really, Making sure that you feel like you're in a place where you can have that surrender, which, you know, I know you and I, as recovered clinicians, I've had to return to it over and over again. But I'll just share too that sometimes with my clients who are in recovery, I try to help normalize this experience of you know, you certainly have a very unique experience by being in recovery from an eating disorder going into pregnancy. However, none of us have it figured out. I mean, someone who is not in recovery from eating disorder also has all these feelings of, I don't know what's, what is pregnancy going to be like? You know, what is my birth experience going to be like? And there are so many unknowns along with it. So, Because it's what's coming up for me is is really like sitting in that space and um, allowing that process to kind of ebb and flow.
0: Let me ask some more, I'm gonna say medical questions because I think it's very important for clients who are currently pregnant that are listening to this or planning on getting pregnant. What do you or how do you talk to them about? What's happening to their body from a nutritional standpoint? Let's say use the example when they're pregnant, and like I said, they're not feeding themselves adequately. They're binging and purging, purging whatever it is. How do you and and this is really important? And I also know from my own experience. People would say to me all the time, like, you're going to be walking down the street and drop dead of a heart attack. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid to be without my eating disorder. So I know that like, I'm not saying this in a way of like, come on, Jaren, let's scare the clients into, but let's just be honest. What are some of the things that they're they're doing if they are engaging in behaviors while pregnant?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it is really important to emphasize the risk, um, specifically with, you know, undernourishing yourself and, you know, binging and purging. Um, both of those can impact growth and development of the baby as you navigate pregnancy. So it's really important to, you know, kind of work on that adequate nutrition in whatever form that might be to support adequate growth. Um, and of course, you know, I'm thinking about this. Um, relationship that develops in our nervous systems from pregnancy, right? And that has such an impact on this growing and developing baby. So, you know, this chaos or the stress of the cycle of behaviors, you know, can impact growth as well as Um, You know, just this baby's nervous system and temperament going through pregnancy, continuing to use eating disorder behaviors is going to have an impact in that way. So medically, you know, it's what comes to mind most is really that restricted growth and development. So there's been some research on, um, you know, individuals who are actively you know, anorexic during pregnancy and having, um, small gestational babies or have preterm deliveries. So there are a lot of really important pieces to consider.
0: Yeah. Was there something or someone in your recovery process that helped guide you towards recovery?
1: You know, I don't know if there is, is one particular person. I, I'm thinking of my therapist, of course, who I adore. And um, you know, I really didn't have this um special relationship with my therapist that I have until I worked on more of my healing. My daughter was maybe two or three years old, was really where I feel like I really came into I'm recovered um and I'm really working through some of these pieces. But you know, I think of this process of recovery for me as kind of a a phasing out process, which is not everyone's experience. Um, You know, it doesn't just happen overnight, but part of my shift, I think, was really developing into being a mother and um, feeling like, essentially, like I have bigger fish to fry. (laughs) I am responsible for feeding this human and oh, I do not want to pass on this stuff to my daughter. I just felt so strongly about really protecting that. And I had to embody that. So I think that really kicked me into gear. That doesn't mean that you have to wait for that time, um, whether it's during pregnancy to feel like, okay, this is the time where I have to get my stuff together because I am going to have a kid. Um, You know, it can happen at any time for you. But just for me in my own development, that was a really significant turning point for me. What is it like
0: raising a child with all the information that you have as someone who's recovered as someone who practices health at every size in your, in your clinic, I don't know why I called a clinic, what in your practice, I'm so sorry. That sounded funny. Um, Somebody who is aware of what the media can do to young brains that just, you know, absorb everything they see. How do you navigate through motherhood like that?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I am protective and mindful of, you know, of course, like what we consume, but I just feel my job is just to protect her intuitive eater, which, you know, even being a dietitian and recovered clinician, um, it's hard to feed our kids. There are so many messages and so many experiences that we have, you know, whether it's birthday parties or family food gatherings that individuals put messages or say things to my daughter and nothing will activate the mama bear in me, like someone commenting on my daughter's plate or, you know, uh, gosh forbid her, her weight or her body. Right. So, I mean, I, when she's younger, will very much swoop in and really start to try to change and kind of redirect and put boundaries around any of those comments, um, and changing that dialogue. But it's, Feeling like you're swimming upstream a lot in these conversations, especially with other parents, because we've associated being a good parent, quote, quote, right, with feeding our kids healthy, whatever that means, right, this diet culture version of healthy. So it can really be difficult to navigate, but I just ground myself and what I know and my own experience. And of course, the gift of doing this work is that I continue to echo it with my clients also.
0: How does the quote-unquote healthy way of eating, how do you see that trickle down to the way parents are feeding Their children? Like, I, you know, I'm imagining people, you know, very much on like everything I give my baby is organic and everything I give my baby has no sugar or whatever. Do you see a lot of that? And do you feel like you have to correct parents' idea of, you know, balance, you know, every food? You know, I also, I probably should have started this conversation by saying, I don't have children. So as I'm asking you these things, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't have children. And so shame on me for being like, hey, what do you tell the parents? Do you just, you know, wave your wand and say, poof, don't worry about it. But what do you tell them when they're when they're when they're stuck in this diet culture as well for their own children?
1: That's such an important topic. What's coming to mind is um, thinking about how prominent message around sugar and kids are. And that being such a huge piece to navigate, um, there is so much messaging around, you know, demonizing certain types of foods for kids or restricting them. Um, But the message that I continue to echo is that, you know, this can backfire. If you are not bringing these foods into the house, if you are restricting your child from them, if you are um, making the face or giving them the side eye every time they go for that food that they genuinely enjoy and they love, um, that can be harmful. So it really is about trying to separate out those messages and also come back to trusting our kids to grow into the bodies that are right for them. Your child knows how to regulate that for themselves, even if it's sugar. But if I were demonizing and if I were restricting that, that is the kid who is hanging out by the cake and the food the whole time and preoccupied with it. Because, of course, they never get those.
0: Speaking of children and the way you f- we feed them, and 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 our own the way we feed our own bodies, tell the listeners a little bit about your cookbook, because I know that you have a cookbook and I'd love for you to share what went, how, how you created it, what your thoughts were, what people, you know, will find in it.
1: Yes, so I have a cookbook. It's called the Postnatal Cookbook, which is, you know, recipes specifically designed to support individuals um, during postpartum and recovering from birth. And it was really interesting to me um, to arrive in what we call the fourth trimester, this period after birth, where we're, you know, really focusing on recovery and to really. Realize not only how much diet culture, of course, was inundated in these messages around, you know, calories or weight loss or certain types of foods, um, but also to notice this other side of, you know, the fourth um, trimester community, which is a lot of non-Western practices around nutrition, which are so beautiful and so valuable, um, but were really overwhelming. So maybe I can give more specific examples. Um, there are specific practices in other countries around you know the period after birth where communities and individuals and the parents Family will gather around them and cook soups and stews and really healing and nourishing foods and really care for the mother and the parents during that time. And we don't have that system here at all in our country. Um, or in our culture. We're expected to do it ourselves and parents go home and they're on their own and maybe someone drops off a, a casserole, but that's about it. So, um, you know, it was really this balance of trying to bring recipes that were healing and supportive of recovery after birth, but that were not overwhelming or complex um, and not saturated in diet culture. And so, that was my hope. Um, so, of course, the bulk of it is these um, 70 recipes that are designed to be really simple and also healing. And then, of course, because I am the person I am and wanted to use this as a way to get the message out a little bit more about um, just you know, non-diet approaches to food and postpartum, I have some chapters in the beginning that talk a little bit about how to integrate intuitive eating during pregnancy and postpartum, how to navigate, um, you know, recovery and supporting your mental health during that period after birth as well.
0: What are some, I'm going to use the word significant, but that doesn't feel like the right word. What are some of the more... Common, I guess, symptoms that you see, because you, you do, you, you frequently bring up the word postpartum, which I apologize. I haven't even really delved into yet in this, in this interview. What are some things that you see in with women with postpartum depression and how do you help them through it? What advice?
1: Well, it's a a huge conversation that I'm so grateful we're having more now. There is a much more awareness of it and um, it's much more common now that we're are recognizing it has continued to exist, but we have more awareness around it. So the first piece that comes to mind, and I talk about this in the book, is really knowing and understanding your risk factors, right? So especially um, I'm thinking of you know, our audience and our experiences here, if you are in recovery from an eating disorder, um, you are more at risk of subsequent kind of mental health concerns during postpartum specifically. I always say that food is a mood altering substance. Um, So, you know, if you have used food in this way before, then it makes sense that after birth, when hormones are running rampant, um, and you are sleep deprived, that there's going to be increased vulnerability with your mood. So, you know, know that you might be more vulnerable during this time and, um, you know, the practices that I touch on in the postnatal cookbook and the work that we do in supporting our clients in recovery is available to anyone to support their mental health. Um, I think of how many messages there are around nutrition and postpartum, specifically with, for example, like carbohydrates, which we know are so important to mood regulation. Um, And someone who might be, you know, restricting their intake or under eating, that is going to increase their risk for postpartum depression or anxiety as well. So there's a lot of these interconnections of, you know, making sure that your nutrition is adequate during this time
0: and that also brings me to this idea that women are supposed to quote unquote drop the baby weight right away and there you know we see we see ads on tv like i dropped the baby weight in 6 weeks and all this stuff which adds to The fear around food, which adds to behaviors, which adds to the the anxiety and the depression. And I have to imagine it is really hard to just be in your body as a new mother and not be like, what are you going to do to take off the weight? How are you going to eat to take off the weight? Like the mess, as opposed to saying, oh my God, you just brought this beautiful soul into the world. And I also imagine there's shame attached to saying that you have postpartum depression, because I'm assuming that the message is, is your baby is a gift. It's a bundle of joy, you know, you, this new family member. And that's not accurate.
1: Right. That's not accurate. And it is real and it is valid and it is not your fault at all because we know there are so many factors that, you know, might increase someone's risk. And also there are significant shifts that are going on physiologically in your body that, you know, can trigger the recurrence of postpartum depression or anxiety during that time. Um, Just to touch on though what you spoke to in terms of Um, You know, the emphasis on losing the baby weight I have seen in my training as a lactation consultant, um, you know, it was really unfortunate, but unfortunately not surprising either to realize that weight stigma and those messages are inundated throughout that training and my profession in that way too, because that was part of my experience as a dietitian. Until you come over to the eating disorder world and specialty, you don't really get that training. Um, so there are messages around encouraging women to breastfeed so that they can lose weight or burn calories, which just drives me wild, um, to think about, you know, this experience in this relationship that should really be protected, but now we've associated it with calories and weight loss. So again, it really is about, you know, protecting that time and separating out those messages, um, so that you can be in, in attunement with your baby
0: there are some some powerful messages out there i remember hearing somebody say um about a friend of mine who everybody would say oh my god she's so cute you can't even tell she's pregnant from behind and then she turns around and she has this little baby bump and i'm thinking that's what's cute that there's no shift in her body, and by the way, every body is different. I'm not, but they're like, oh, she's going through pregnancy so well, you can't even tell that she's pregnant. And I'm thinking, what, what, where, where did this come from in our culture, that we we applaud the mother who doesn't even look pregnant from behind until she turns around as doing a good thing, Jaren? Where like, how did we get to this? Place in our country.
1: Yeah, it's so frustrating and just makes my blood boil that we've associated thinness with being a good mother too, right? And the faster you can get your body back or how you feed your baby or what you feed your baby are these kind of badges. Um, but I think of, of so much, I'm really thinking of these systemic pieces of Capitalism and, you know, all of these huge systems that profit off of new moms feeling bad about their bodies and how they feed their babies. I mean, there is so much of that um, from the baby products to how you feed your baby to what you clothe them in to activities they do. I mean, we've just gotta, we've gotta separate that stuff out.
0: It's hard, it's hard because we as adults are sort of hypnotized by this whole media and capitalism and we're not even aware. Like we're not even aware, by the way, pre-pandemic when people were out and about in the world that you're, you're passing billboard after billboard of a diet or clothing or product that's gonna make everything better. We're constantly being bombarded by commercials. I often listen to the news in the morning when I'm getting ready for work and drinking my coffee. And there's a part of me that thinks, I don't even hear it anymore. I'm, I'm a pretty educated consumer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even hear these commercials. But the reality is, is they're still in the background. And somewhere they are getting lodged into my system. Even if I don't adhere to them, We are bombarded. And then to think that it translates down to how we we take care of our children, the cycle just keeps going and going and going.
1: It's sneaky with motherhood, I've noticed too, because we've associated it with being a good mom. Um, with the types of products that you use or the types of foods or even how you're eating, right? Like there are associations that we have, but those are are marketing media messages around like what you need in order to be a good mother when this is internal work, right? Of being present and um, in sync with your baby.
0: Mm. I also, unfortunately, have to bring in social media that does not help, especially with with women that are going through postpartum and, you know, all the the pictures of people with their babies and the smiling and the giggling and not everybody is having that experience.
1: Oh, not not at all. and you know there are um, some amazing kind of movements around um, taking back postpartum and normalizing postpartum um, that are really aimed at trying to show the real experiences of postpartum, which I mean it's such a difficult time not only for the mother but on the whole family system. Um, you know, partners are also going through their own experiences of becoming a parent and can also experience um, postpartum depression or anxiety as well. Um, so it's it's really powerful. I think of, there's also a lot of um, my lactation kind of brain here is going to even a lot of comparison on social media around how much breast milk you produce. Um, There's these like freezer stashes of, you know, um, amounts that moms will pump. And that has become something that is so glorified and really makes a lot of individuals feel like, I don't know, am I producing enough milk? Like, is my body doing what it needs to do? Um, And it's that like body trust piece again. So there's a lot of comparison that can really come out of that social media use so we have to be really really mindful and protective of our spaces yeah
0: every everything unfortunately has been tainted and and by the way i i don't mean to say that as a pessimist i'm a, i'm a, i'm an optimist at heart and and i think the world is is pretty amazing yet there's there's so much that has been tainted like beautiful, beautiful rituals and, and parts of our lives that are supposed to be sacred and even private celebrated with just your family members. Like the, the world is, it it is, it's a lot of comparison. And, and I think it's, it's just heartbreaking. I also want to say, I love when my friends put baby pictures on. So now I'm contradicting myself, you know, I, I, so I, I'm, I'm part of that problem where I love when, especially during the pandemic, I had a, a woman who used to work for me, who was like, nobody can meet our baby. So you're just going to get inundated by photos of him. And I thought, oh, yay. And then I thought, "Mm, that's, that's adding to it, but I also love it. So I'm sorry, Jaron, I'm having my own inner dialogue (laughs) right now.
1: No, I think of, you know, everyone uses um, social media in different ways too. I think it's just about being really mindful, of course, of like what we're consuming and what comes up for us and how we feel when we're, we're looking at certain images. But I actually will encourage my clients to follow, you know, certain pages. Um, there's like, Fourth trimester bodies project. She's an amazing photographer and she captures um women after birth in all, you know, the realness and of different body sizes and cultivating some of those images of body diversity and normalizing like, yes, your body is going to look so different. And actually, this is this is such a gift. Um, so I think there can be a lot of power in media that we look at too. Yeah,
0: I agree, I agree. Jaron, we are as much as I hate to say this, we're going to have to start coming to a to an end of the interview. Is there anything before I get to your final question, anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to share with listeners, or anything that you're thinking about that that you'd like to share?
1: Mm, I think we touched on on so much of it. My only hope is just to share with the listeners um, about. These experiences, and um, if it's something that you're thinking about navigating um, in terms of pregnancy or this, you know, recovery journey with postpartum, that um, it can absolutely be an amazing healing experience. So I hope that that echoed through um, some of this interview. I I
0: think you spoke beautifully about all of it. So fantastic. All right, Jaron. Though before before we end, I do have your final question. Which is, if you could live in another time period, but stay in the same place you live now, when would you want to live?
1: Mm. Yes, I, so I live in California. Um, I am thinking of this like roaring 20s, like Gatsby style time as would be so fun. And I don't know what time frame would that be exactly? Um, but whatever that time period is of this, like, you know, kind of Gatsby style, especially here in California, fun. I think that would be just amazing. I'm
0: picturing you right now as a flapper (laughs) with a, with one of those really long cigarette holders and the cigarette at the end and sparkly dress. Yes. I just, it's, it's such a great image. And of course, oh, I love it. I love it. Jaron. Thank you so, so much for being part of the podcast. It is a really important topic and and I'm surprised it hasn't come up before. So thank you for your words.
1: Mm, Thank you for this space and this platform of the work that you do.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. To wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewis.com edc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bytes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Alright everybody, be well and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week.